This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined with me across the table, that is Ryan Shumpert. Good afternoon, my friend. I guess it's morning, actually. Yeah, not afternoon. I'm a little bit messed up. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, We're here on the eve of the Ryder Cup, which I guess it's not even really the eve. I guess it is. I don't know how that works, given the fact that it starts at 1.30 a.m. Eastern time uh, over there in in Rome. (laughs) So, I don't know. I I guess it's probably nighttime. 1.30? As in tonight when we're sleeping tonight? Yes. Wow. So, I guess it's like probably about to be... It's like night in Italy right now. So I guess it, we're probably are on the eve of it, technically. Okay, let me, yeah, yeah, let me see. Because they're probably about to go to bed and wake up here in 10 o'clock right now. Okay, so it's, it's 13 hours. It's 9.52 yeah. a.m. for us right now. It's 3.52 p.m. Okay. For so not quite night in Italy. Yet. We're a couple hours away from it being the eve. Uh, so I guess, I guess early afternoon here in the Eastern time zone, it'll be the eve of the Ryder Cup. Only six hours ahead? I don't know, a head behind what I guess it is a head. Mm-hmm. I've never traveled internationally, so I, you know, the longer time zones outside of our, our continental United States, it confuses me sometimes. I feel like it should be more than six hours, but then again, what do I know? Now, you've been, not to, not to stay on this for very long, but you've been also reading a book for the Ryder Cup. How, yeah. How's that going, and what's uh, that like? It was good. It was great. Uh, You're done out. with it. I'm done with it, yes. That was less than a week. Um, a little bit over a week. Okay, so I, I guess did, it was Florida week. I've had this book for a while. Rick uh, got the backstory of it because I, I didn't start it. I put it off way too long. I read it in our hotel the Friday night before the Florida games when I started it, and then I finished on Monday. So it was about 10 days. Okay. But a really good book. Shout out Shane Ryan, uh, the, uh, the path to whistling straights, uh, some Ryder Cup history as a whole, and a lot on the... The 2021 Ryder Cup uh, up there in Wisconsin. Would you like to make a wild results prediction? I mean, I guess I'll be positive. It's, I mean, I was, talking, I was joking about my roommate <laughs> yesterday. It's the Tennessee Florida situation all over again. <laughs> the, the Americans haven't won in Europe in 30 years. So uh, I think we figured it, it has been six straight losses. It had been nine straight losses for Tennessee and Florida. So not quite as bad <laughs> on that scale. Uh, but no, I mean, we'll, we'll show some confidence. There you go. Again, that's coming up this week. And I imagine you'll be following it on Twitter. You can go over to Ryan's Twitter and check that out throughout the weekend as it goes. But otherwise, Ryan, let's talk about another team that is looking to bounce back from a loss. Now, not necessarily a loss last week, but a loss last season. We all know what that South Carolina loss did to Tennessee's year. But as the players and coaches have been talking about this week, and Ryan, you wrote a great article about this, the past is in the past. I think that you can certainly tell after two and a half years with this program, this is a program that does not care about the result of last week. They don't care about the result of the last play. They don't care about the result of the last contest against whatever opponent it is. This is a team that just wants to do their job coming up on Saturday, and it's going to be a big job at hand. Uh, coming up 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, SEC Network, South Carolina 2-2, two and two, number 21, Tennessee 3-1. and one. Again, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Ryan, this line right now is set at uh, Tennessee 12. It's according to Caesar Sportsbook off of the little ESPN front page. Are you surprised that the line is that high, just kind of starting things out broadly? Yes, uh, <laughs> I am. I, I mean, we were t- discussing it in our Rocky Top Insider you know, group group chat on, I guess, Saturday while South Carolina was playing, and we were working, and I, my first thought was this would be like a three-and-a-half, four-point spread. And 
uh, Daniel Lewis, who's uh, wiser than I am on the uh, the gambling uh, ropes, thought, you know, this will probably be at least a touchdown, you know, maybe a little bit more. So that kind of, by the time Sunday rolled around and I was getting the story ready for it, just waiting to see what the line was, I was thinking, okay, it'll probably be seven and a half, eight and a half points. Uh, but no, certainly for it, to, you know, what I think it opened up at 11, 11 and a half, briefly went down and then pretty quickly early in the week moved to 12 and it's, it's held steady there has been certainly a surprise to me. Uh, you know, I'm always a big believer that the Las Vegas really knows what they're doing. Uh, they're sure. usually on the nose with these things, but uh, we'll see. You know, it's kind of one of those things that happens time from time where the, the game spread has really forced me to change my outlook on a game or at least look at it with a, from a little different perspective maybe if it doesn't completely change the outlook as a whole. Yeah, and I also think that's you know that it's giving a little bit of credit just to Tennessee's home home environment, yeah, especially certainly. at night. I, I think that you know Vegas is saying, hey, you know we feel like Tennessee's got the advantage here, but maybe that number even kind of spikes up just as much as it does because of the uh, the home winning streak that Tennessee is on, just because of the environment, because of the night, everything like that. One more thing that I, I was kind of looking at, Ryan, while you were saying that. Uh, and, and I'll continue to try to find it here super quickly. I don't think it's going to be an a, issue. I have another thought if you need me to while you find it. Go ahead, go ahead. My other thought is, and this is what I had, I wrote an article on Wednesday kind of talking about, we'll, we'll get into more details on this, but the matchups in this game, strengths versus weaknesses kind of for both teams. And, you know, doing that, I'm diving into, I was kind of diving into what the advanced analytics say about these yeah. things and what the eye test says about these things. And that's the thing. And it's kind of the crazy thing about college college football. You can't, you don't have this in any other sport where we are, Tennessee's a 33% of the way, a third of the way through the regular season. Yeah. And it's not that we don't know specific things about Tennessee, because I think we do have a good grasp on a, you know, a handful of things, but just macro as a whole, we don't really know what Tennessee is. They've played three lesser opponents, and they've played uh, a game on the road where they played you know, very poorly, and uh, certainly the atmosphere seemed too much for them in that game. So it's hard. That's kind of what your comment about Tennessee playing at home made me think. What's Tennessee going to look like at home against a better opponent? And it's just kind of hard to know exactly what Tennessee is right now, given what we've seen. Now, on the reverse side of it, South Carolina, we do have a pretty good feel for because they've played North Carolina and Georgia and Mississippi State already. Uh, so you have a little bit better feel for what South Carolina is. Uh, but it, it's hard to know exactly what Tennessee is and just, you know, that'll lead in the SEC and rushing. We know they have a good rushing attack, but it's been the numbers have been propelled a little bit by some lesser opponents. And the same thing would go with the sack numbers. And Tennessee's secondary has very good numbers at this point in the season. And I think all of us think with the eye test that that's probably not going to remain the same uh, as things get further on. But you know that's just kind of a observation that I've had uh, this week while yeah. looking at things of just how how much it is kind of still uncertain and how you don't get that this far into the season in a lot of other sports. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, you look back at Tennessee's four games so far, you got two gimme games right there. You have one disastrous half against Florida. And actually, Shane Beamer kind of alluded to that. You know, hey, this is a team that, you know, they've played one really bad half of football all season. And then you play a team, UTSA, last week who, who was down to their third-string quarterback for the whole second half. So you're right. There hasn't been a, a ton of opportunities for Tennessee's true identity come, to come out. Will that come out this weekend? We'll have to wait and see. The one thing that I was looking at real quick was, if you go on the ESPN front page, it says that uh, there's, a, there's a rain bubble next to the game. So they're obviously maybe forecasting a little bit of rain. Now, I went into my Weather Channel app, flipped ahead all the way to Saturday, says no rain on my app. 
No rain at all. Doesn't even, not even a percentage. So I don't know what that's gonna look like. If it does rain, because we, we got a little bit of rain yesterday, we might get a little bit of rain today here on Thursday. If it does rain, I think that does play in Tennessee's favor. Yeah. That's something I'll, we'll kind of monitor as the as the days go on. Uh, again, a little bit of conflicting reports right here. Weather Channel says no. AccuWeather says yes, it's going to rain. So we'll see. But I do think that plays in Tennessee's favor if it does. Obviously trying to slow down South Carolina's passing attack. But we know that Tennessee wants to push the ball on the ground. That's the way to do it. Oh, 100%. It's funny. This game is like the opposite of what you'd think matchup-wise in just the sense of like <laughs> – yeah. You know, last year we talked about it a lot, and I wrote about it a lot in my three keys, where it was like, Tennessee didn't need to get off to a fast start, but they could quickly bury teams last year who just weren't built to play from behind, whereas Tennessee was very much built to play from behind last season. And that's kind of what you would think about with a Josh Heifel offense that attacks teams vertically in the passing game, whereas on the other side, South Carolina, more pro-style offense, uh, beamer ball, let's play possession, and good on special teams, and that type of stuff, you would think that's a team that's not really built to play from behind. But it's completely flipped this year. Tennessee is a team that is needs to be – I mean, not just needs to be ahead, but with its limitations in the passing game, is not really built to play from behind. And I think it's important that they don't fall behind early in this game, where on the other side, South Carolina's passing attack has been so good this year. And certainly it's offensive line. You know, South Carolina doesn't want to have to play from behind either because its offensive line is not great and you get in a lot of obvious – uh, passing situations, uh, it's going to make life easier on Tennessee's pass rush, harder on the offensive line. But overall, Spencer Rattler's really good. This is an explosive offense that can make chunk plays in the pass game, and is going to be much more reliant on its passing offense, whereas Tennessee's going to be relying on its running offense, uh, which makes for not something that you would think of. You know, if you're uh, no, if no, you're just a national college football fan or heck, a regional college football fan, and you haven't paid too too close of attention to either team this year, you'd probably be thinking it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with a lot of things that you said right there. Again, going back to um, ESPN's FBI, Tennessee has a 70.4% chance to win this game, although we both know that those numbers can get a little skewed. Do you want to start with the offense or the defense when we start talking about this game? Dealer's choice. Dealer's Whatever choice. you want, Rick. Start with the offense. Okay. The first thing that I think about is Cooper Mays and just kind of how vital. I, I mean, this has been a little bit of a cat-and-mouse game for us throughout the first four weeks of the season, asking Josh Heupel, Tennessee giving a little bit of feedback that they think he could be close, but obviously they've just kept it at a, at a as a questionable, as a game-time decision this whole time. That's still, to me, where we're at right now leading into this week. But just like the Florida week, man, it, to me, getting Cooper back on this offensive line w- w- would be massive just in, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different different kind of branches on that tree. But to me, that's one of the first things I think about. You, you need a good tr- uh, need a good showing in the trenches. I don't entirely know what that's going to look like, but the offensive line definitely fascinates me just because of what you're talking about a second ago. The rush, the rushing attack is going to be very important in this game. So, what does the offensive line look like in order to get that push? Certainly, and you know that's kind of been the, the it has been the missing piece definitely on Tennessee's offense the entire season. It's kind of been the question mark of how much better can Tennessee's offensive line be uh, when Cooper Mays is out there. But it also just goes back to the point I've said. You know, Tennessee's offensive line against UTSA, Virginia, and Austin P. even just compared to my expectations, I would have said going into the season, if I hadn't seen the Florida game, if I'd just seen those three games, I'd say Tennessee's offensive line has been a little bit better than I expected. Uh, but certainly it was so disastrous at Florida and their first look of playing a real SEC-style defense. So... Uh, what does it look like? Does Tennessee get more continuity? They've substituted so much on the offensive line. If they get Cooper Mays back, is it Cooper Mays 
every snap at center, Ollie Lane every snap at left guard, and obviously we'll see what ends up happening to right tackle with Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford. Personally, I think it needs yeah. to be Gerald Mincy. He's been eye test, PFF grades. He's been significantly better than Crawford this season when he's been on the field. So uh, if they do find some continuity, how much does that help? How much does having Cooper Mays back help? Um, but you certainly that's – you know, just like I, I said after Florida, you know, line scrimmage, that's going to be a huge factor in really any SEC game, but definitely in this one. Yeah, I, I think today during right here on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the trenches plenty because on both sides it's going to be ultra important. But I, I do think to what you're saying, you know, yeah, you, if he does play, and I'm talking about Cooper here, if he does play, sure, there's going to be some conditioning, I would imagine, uh, you know, revamping yeah. that back onto the field and everything like that. But you actually brought up the other good point on the offensive line that I've really been thinking about throughout this week, and that's just – to me, you want to see Jer- uh, you want to see Gerald Mincy lock down the right side of the offensive yeah. line. I-, I just I don't know kind of why that switch hasn't happened. Maybe it's something that goes back to the the incident before the Florida game. Maybe something like that. But when you're talking about the best five guys in the offensive line, to me, it is Gerald Mincy in that starting spot. So I will be really interested to see maybe if he can finally get that start coming up this Saturday. How long it maybe takes him to get in the rotation. But I do agree with you. I, I think if you can somehow get Cooper back, and again, no clue on that direction. But then if you can get Mincy on that right side, to me, I think that's your best five, and you can start the rushing attack from there. Yeah, certainly. And besides the Florida game, when Mincy didn't play because of uh, the citation, or for how why he didn't play, the citation happened uh, the week before. But besides that, the snaps have been relatively evenly split between Crawford and Mincy. Uh, obviously, Crawford has started every game, but... No, that, that'll be interesting. And I think on the injury front, just as a whole, I think is a big storyline in the offense. We haven't gotten many updates this week. Hopefully, we'll talk to Josh Heupel here in about an hour or so. So, hopefully, we'll get a little bit then. But, you know, Brew McCoy or Mel Keaton, Jalen Wright, all three of those guys left Tennessee's game against uh, UTSA. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's super serious injuries. But for Mel Keaton, you know, head went banging into the ground pretty hard. It looked like it, you know, might be something that would – be a concussion, and Jalen Wright was kind of in the same boat with players needing to kind of help him looking a little dizzy while he's coming off the field. So I don't know what's the case. I, I guess the only real tip we have gotten is Jerry Mack didn't specifically address Jalen Wright's injury, but spoke as if Jalen Wright will play on Saturday. Granted, that could just be trying to cover for it, yeah. as a lot of these things are. So I don't know how much stock you want to put into that. But uh, just as a whole, it seems like Tennessee could – beginning Cooper Mays back but also be losing some of its key offensive players uh, so to me that's just going to be an interesting storyline to watch here at the end of the weekend and certainly as we get closer to game time yeah absolutely I think that's a that's a really good thing to think about as always whenever you're listening to this podcast you'll be able to go over to rockytopincident.com and you'll be able to see kind of that report on those injuries that whatever Josh Heupel gives out on Thursday obviously we know that He's not too keen to give away that kind of information, but sometimes we get some good tidbits and sometimes can evaluate things from there. Uh, Ryan, you talk about Jalen Wright potentially being involved in the game plan this week. I, I do want to see Dylan Sampson involved in the game plan this week. To me, just going back to last week, watching a little bit of the tape throughout the week, it, it really is incredible how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. I think that he just gives the offense such an extra layer of versatility, such an extra layer of a dynamic ability on the field. I know I'm not preaching anything new or preaching yeah. anything that anybody's that nobody's ever heard of, and I'm not even talking about the 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 no split from Florida. To me, that's that's in the back of my mind. That's not something I'm thinking about anymore. I'm just saying, hey, I think this offense is so much more dynamic and maybe more importantly, unpredictable when Dylan Sampson's on the field just because he can do so many versatile things with the ball. Like to see him get a really good uh, a really good run. And I don't know what that would look like. 
I'm not gonna come out and say I need X amount of shares or X amount of touches or anything like that, but I think the more that you can get them involved in the game plan in certain kind of situations, the better the offense is. Yeah, it's just an interesting situation as a whole and one we've been talking about since fall camp. Uh, Jalen Wright, I still think, is Tennessee's best offensive player, so by no means... Sure, agree. And, I, and I agree. Yeah, so no means do you just, would it be a good thing for Tennessee if he can't play on Saturday, but certainly they've had struggles trying to balance uh, carries between those three guys in the rotation, and you know Dylan Sampson and Jabari Small is one of those guys... As long as one of those guys don't go down in the game, Tennessee's still going to be a good, at a good spot at running back. Look, it, it, like we talked about it again in preseason camp. It just feels like Dylan Sampson needs a lot more carries and Jabari Small needs a lot less carries. And I don't mean that as disrespectful to Jabari Small. I think he's a really good running back, and I get why he does get uh, so much playing time. He does so many little things well. Uh, he's just so solid for them. But to this point in the season, it's been very clear Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and then the biggest gap in playing time and carries between Small and Sampson, at the very least, uh, the gap needs to be closer uh, between those two. And really, you know, I think it needs to be Dylan Sampson getting a lot more carries than Jabari Small. I'm skeptical that, that that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, unless you have, like, an injury to Jalen Wright, uh, which forces it. Now, I don't think, to your point, I don't think it's going to be like Florida where he gets zero carries. Uh, but I'm just have, not having a hard time, but skeptical of thinking that Tennessee is going to really give him a lot, lot more carries while decreasing Jabari Small's playing time. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, even maybe it hasn't been as much publicly, but definitely privately. I, in some ways, I might even be—I might even be a little bit of a Jabari Small defender in some cases. But yes. I think you're right. You know, it's—I it's find just, myself doing both. What do you mean? Saying, going back and forth? Well, not even going back and forth. Saying Dylan Sampson is. Needs more carries. Saying what I just said, that he needs yes. more, and then being like, "Well, let's not rip Jabari Small." Like I've seen, <laughs> yeah, I've, a lot of people have been like comparing it to the secondary and how like Tennessee needs to play the young guys in the secondary over uh, the veterans. And it's like let's not compare Jabari Small to like yeah. to players in Tennessee secondary. He the veteran. He's been a much more productive player for multiple years than tennis for Tennessee. Uh, it's just that you know on the flip side, whereas Tennessee's young defensive backs really haven't seen much playing time. Uh, Jalen Wright, and, who's obviously a junior now, isn't even that young. But Jalen Wright and uh, Dylan Sampson have seen playing time and have been just really impressive. You know, Tennessee boasts the number one rushing offense in the conference. Now, that might be a little bit skewed, maybe a little bit lopsided. We're, all, we're early into the season. Tennessee's obviously had a couple of games in which, uh, in which they were just able to run wild all over the field. They also struggled mightily in that Florida game to rush the ball. So certainly that's going to continue to be a fascinating topic as we draw closer to game time here coming up this Saturday. But Ryan, you can't just run the ball. you got to also throw the ball. What do you think about Joe Milton? Where, where are you standing heading into this game just with Tennessee's overall passing game, uh, receivers, quarterback, everyone combined? The same place I was in our post-game pod talking about UTSA. Sure. That it, they just feel very limited in what they're going to do. And that makes it so important that they can run it well and avoid being in third and long situations where pass rushes can kind of tee off and uh, you make Joe Milton either make plays when the pocket breaks down or stick in a pocket that may not always be clean and deliver good throws over the middle of the field, which he hasn't done often this season. So to me, you need to stay ahead of the sticks in this game. Uh, and it's just what you were saying. We're going to be talking about the line of scrimmage a lot because it's really important 
On Tennessee's side, I think it's most important that Tennessee can get consistent push in the run game and run the ball effectively. You'd think so uh, from looking at like the EPA uh, numbers and the PFF numbers matchup-wise. I guess this we can go big or broad, but one sure. of the things I wrote about yesterday or on Wednesday was Tennessee's strengths match up with South Carolina's weaknesses, and South Carolina's strengths match up with Tennessee's weaknesses, which <laughs> makes it a fantastic or an extremely intriguing coaching matchup. Who can hide their deficiencies and who can exploit the other team's deficiencies uh, the best? And that's it. You know, Tennessee has run the ball extremely well from EPA. They had the fourth best running attack in the country. Uh, their run, running game has earned a 79.13 grade from PFF through four games this season. That's a really good grade for PFF. I mean, if you're in the 80s, really, really elite. Uh, in South Carolina, the only game their run defense has graded out over a 70 was against Furman. So uh, that's been a weakness. It was better last week against Mississippi State. You know, the advanced analytics don't really show it, but they held Mississippi State, which has a pretty good rushing game. You know, this is not a Mike Leach air raid offense anymore to like 40 yards. So uh, some of it's kind of hard to tell as much on the South Carolina side of things, but this is – I test and statistically, this is an area Tennessee has an advantage, and I think they need to really take advantage of it and run the ball well in this game because if they get, and this is just going to be the case for most all of Tennessee games, if they get into sure. a lot of third and longs, uh, I think it's going to be hard for them to have a ton of success. Oh, you're stealing one of my big keys to the game. We'll come back to that later. I, Ryan, you might, uh, normally I like to give myself this moniker after each uh, podcast, but you might have the most brilliant line of the podcast oh, wow, today. Look at me. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. It's a big award. <laughs> uh, Where's my medal? You're right. It, which one of these coaches can, can effectively hide their, their deficiencies better? I, I think that's a great way to look at it because you know that both teams are going to find success in certain areas you know that both teams are going to struggle in certain areas which one of these coaches can really capitalize on that the most inside of this massive atmosphere that will be Neyland Stadium I think that's a really good thought right there yeah it's again it goes both ways and the advanced analytics indicate that Tennessee's past defense is good but that's where I think anyone with the eye test or anyone that Covers, follows this Tennessee football program closely, you know, doesn't believe that's going to be true when they start playing tougher competition, at least with the coverage side of things, uh, which I guess brings us, uh, do, we do your job a little bit, a little bit not, as Who do you think you way, are? not in an attacking way, but to me this just naturally leads into the next great point and the next great battle in this one is Tennessee's pass rush against South Carolina's offensive line. Yeah. If Tennessee cannot affect Spencer Rattler that way, I think they're going to have a really hard time slowing down South Carolina's offense. Yeah, and here's what Ronnie Garner had to say earlier this week about kind of slowing down Spencer Rattler, but also making sure to be consistent in a rush, in a pass rush, on the inside, on the outside. Here's what Ronnie Garner had to say. Well, it's important to get push everywhere, you know, and, and obviously in pass rush, you need it all needs to tie together. You know, you need to push up the middle, you need the guys off the edge, making the quarterback try to step up, got that guy pushing so he can't step up. You know, all of it goes hand in hand. You know, everybody has a job. Everybody needs to understand their job. They need to understand how it affects everyone, not just them individually. And, you know, and I think that's some that's an area that we I think we have grown a little bit in. I mean, I, I look at just specifically like just Tyler, just him understanding. You no, know, it ain't just about him. It's about Tennessee and about everybody doing their job and how it affects everyone and everyone does their job and everyone has an opportunity to be more effective you know through four games this season ryan spencer rattler number three right now in the sec in passing yards 
He's been terrific, but one of the great aspects about his game that he's really been able to utilize, and even before I say that, you wrote about that this week. I thought this was a really good point that you made. That Tennessee game last year was almost the turning point for, for his yeah. South Carolina career. It has been, I don't want to say phenomenal. I think that might be a little bit inflating things a little bit. But I do think that he has really turned a corner since that Tennessee game. What was the stat about him throwing yards and something yeah. in a 9 out of 10 games, something along those lines? I think in uh, his first – the Tennessee game was his 11th game in South Carolina. His first 10 games he'd thrown for over 240 yards once, which was against Arkansas. And since that game, since the Tennessee game, which he threw for, what, maybe even 400, but upper 300s, since that game, South Carolina's played six games, and he's thrown for 240 every single game. And I think – 300 maybe all of them except for the bowl game against Notre Dame so you know at the time in the South Carolina game I think everyone felt like you know Spencer Rattler played good no one was disputing that but it was easy to point all right this was Tennessee's defense this was a defensive issue and it it was like let's not make any bones about it like it was a defensive issue but you have seen since that Spencer Rattler is a talented quarterback he has uh, really put all the skill set together and uh, he's been really good this year Obviously, we work a ton on Saturdays, so we don't... You're listening out there, you've probably watched more SEC football as a whole than we have this year, but from what I have seen, looking at the numbers, I think to this point in the year, Spencer Rattler has been the best quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, Ryan, and so much of it is just his, his elusiveness, right? This is a guy who can use his legs to extend plays in the pocket. That was something that Rodney Garner talked about. You heard that a second ago, but to me... It just continues to put importance on Tennessee's pass rush, whether it's the Rabbits package, right? You have James Pierce sitting around the edge. You have a guy like Omar Norman Light creating havoc in the middle of the field. Or yeah. whether it's using a guy like Tyler Barron, who, who Rodney Garner specifically used as an example of a guy who translates his off-the-field work to on-the-field work at a very, very high level. So I don't know what kind of combination it's going to look like. Look, I know when you're talking about a quarterback who can pass the ball and especially a passing offense and you talk about a guy like Xavier Leggett and certainly he can stretch the field downfield as a receiver, maybe some people want to talk about the secondary first. So we'll get there in a second. But to me, I think you got to get after the quarterback. I think your secondary, it can be as good in the world. You know, it can be as good as anything in the world. But if you're giving the guy all day to pass and use his legs to move around, he's going to find the windows. He's going to find the openings. To me, Tennessee's secondary, we know what they look like. I don't think that we can ask a superhuman performance from them by any stretch of the imagination. But I think you can ask for more of that from this pass rushing unit. That is absolutely, to me, a key to this game. 100%. I mean, you, you said it nicely, but South Carolina, you know, the, the pass, Tennessee's pass defense at secondary, it's, it's, not, it's far from the best in the world. It's a lot closer to, to the worst in the conference or anything like that. So you know yeah. if they're put out on an island – it's probably not going to go great for Tennessee uh, on Saturday night. And especially, you know, Danico Slaughter hasn't played the last two games. To me, he's Tennessee's best corner, if not their best guy in the secondary as a whole. Uh, so that will be another important one to watch. But, no, it, it comes down to the pass rush. And Rodney Garner talked about it, the need to keep Spencer Rattler contained, not let him get out of the pocket and make plays. Spencer Rattler did that a lot last year, and Graham Mertz uh, did that frequently, or at least on a handful of big plays in the first half against Tennessee when – uh, the Vols couldn't get off the field on third down. And that brings, just going back going back to the well at this point, you guys are probably annoyed with me making it, but I don't know what Tennessee's pass rush is at this point. Like, they've been really good against teams that have been outmatched. They were not very good against Florida. But at the same time, it's even like the Florida game, I would wager, and this, I'm not even being hyperbolic here, Tennessee might have three times as many true pass rush situations. You know South Carolina's passing. 
situations in this game than he do in the Florida game. I mean, yeah, Florida ran point. the ball and threw the ball super short a ton, and then they got the big lead in the second quarter, and they ran the ball in the second half and played it really conservatively. Like, Tennessee's pass rush wasn't very good in that game, and on those big third downs, they broke contain the edge rushers, and Graham Mertz made them pay. But that was like a handful of plays sure. that were even in that situation. And uh, when you look at South Carolina's run game being a major deficiency and Tennessee's run defense being pretty good, you imagine this is one where South Carolina's in a game where South Carolina's going to throw the ball a lot, and Tennessee's going to be in a lot of situations where uh, they can lean on their pass rush to go needing to go after uh, the passer. Yeah, and I think even following up on that, and you might have said this a couple minutes ago, that's why third down is going to be so critical in this game. You've got to get off the field, especially when you can create a little bit of an advantage for yourself there on first and second down. Maybe you're getting Rattler in that offense to third and seven. Maybe it's third and nine. Heck, maybe it's even third and 12. Those are areas where you have to get off the field. You saw Graham Mertz be able to use his legs a little bit, extend plays, and Florida was able to pick up some of those critical third downs that were just... Man, they were momentum killers for yeah. Tennessee. You, you, you watch the defense. They play good for, th- for two snaps. You get them into an advantageous position. And then all of a sudden, one or two, three wheels come off. Suddenly, they're moving the chains down the field. I, I think that third down is going to be so unbelievably important in this game. Again, you've got to figure out ways to get that offense off the field. It's probably like how, how people have looked at Tennessee over the last two years. You've got to get them off the field. You've got to get Hinton Hooker off you got to get Spencer Rattler off the field in, these, in this game. You cannot have your defense out there just absolutely all the time getting wrecked by the, by the passing attack. To me, third, third down and third and long are going to be vital in this game. Certainly, and we've hinted at it a lot, but I don't think we've said it directly. South Carolina's offensive line, a weak spot. A true freshman starting at left tackle. They have a true freshman last week against Mississippi State played 60% of the snaps at right guard. So it's young, and... They, look, the game I've watched the most of South Carolina this season was the North Carolina game because it was a night game. We got done working uh, that noon kick, or 11 a.m. kick, actually, Central Time in Nashville. The offensive line was horrific <laughs> in that no. game. Yeah. Like, nine, nine sacks, I think, they gave up. That's right. Oh, I totally even forgot about that. But, you know, going and looking for the story I've already hinted at writing yesterday, the PFF numbers, the pass-blocking grades have been pretty good for South Carolina the last three games. Not fantastic, but pretty solid. It's really been the run-blocking grades for all four games. It's been really, really bad. So uh, it does certainly susceptible the South Carolina pass-blocking, but as probably not as bad as it was in the first game. Uh, and I just think that'll be interesting to see kind of what that looks like more with the eye test in this one. Yeah, that's a really good thought. And, and, and you think about that offensive line, to me – if, they're, if you're telling me that they're – and maybe it's slightly, right, but, but I'm just going to use the words here. If they're better at the, at the pass blocking than the run blocking, Tennessee is going to be using packages like maybe the Rabbits package to attack the quarterback in a pass rush scenario. How are they also going to maintain gap integrity throughout the game so that you can be able to be there and stop the, rush, the, uh, the rushing attack as well? To me, that's not, that's not one of the top – you know, top few biggest concerns about this game, but but something I've at least has popped into my head as we've uh, thought about it. So, front seven, any other kind of thoughts there? Obviously, you, you need a big game for the linebackers. You, you go back to that Florida game. That was a game which in which they struggled. Have an opportunity to kind of bounce back here and show that that unit, despite being young, can still be productive for Tennessee. Certainly, and you know, it goes back to the run defense was not good in the South Carolina or in the Florida game. I expect the run defense will be good the rest of the season, and it has to be good in this one. Just from what we've said, South Carolina has been about the worst team in the SEC running football this year, and has been very good passing it. So, 
and it's going to have to start. Like, that's the given. Where we talk about defense's success for Tennessee in this one, the given is you got to stop the run. Like, if you don't stop the run and South Carolina can have some balance and Tennessee is not put in advantageous positions to stop the South Carolina and Spencer Rattler in the passing game, uh, then it's going to be hard, I think, for Tennessee to have a lot of success. No doubt about it. Any thoughts on the secondary? I know we just – briefly mentioned them a second ago you're going to be hearing about them a lot throughout the game just because of that passing attack but any kind of quick thoughts right there not really besides yeah. mentioned Danico Slaughter uh, we'll see if if he plays or not but expect there to continue to be a lot of rotation at the two corner spots and then a lot of tomorrow McDonald star Wesley Walker and Jalen McCole at safety long preview Long preview so far. We've, we've really, I mean, it hasn't been long in terms of, of length, but I feel like we've just been going rapid fire <laughs> okay, through all yeah. these topics. I feel like it's been great. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that we, we might not have hit uh, throughout the podcast so far. Again, Xavier Leggett, a phenomenal wide receiver that, that South Carolina has right now, leading the conference in rece- and, uh, receiving yards. I believe he's third in receptions, and I believe he's fourth in terms of uh, average reception distance, which is just about 20 yards. So each time he's catching the ball, could go for around 20 yards or so. That's definitely going to be a name to watch throughout the game. Uh, we'll see how Tennessee attacks that. We'll see how Tennessee plays that. But what else if we kind of missed that you want to hit on? This was earlier in the week and not a huge surprise, but uh, Antoine Juice-Wells, receiver for South Carolina, ruled out in this one. Uh, he's a guy that doesn't have huge numbers this year. He's dealt with a foot injury really the entire season. Uh he, it happened in spring or fall camp. He played sparingly in the first two games, and it kind of seemed like it was one of those things where South Carolina was like, all right, we don't need you a ton in these two, even though they lost to North Carolina. Maybe he was just more injured in that game. We need you at Georgia. He had two catches on the first drive against Georgia, including a 17-yard touchdown. Got hurt on that play. Uh, hasn't come back. But this is a guy that had just shy of 1,000 yards last season for South Carolina. He was South Carolina's best receiver last year. was really good player. Had 11 catches for 177 yards against Tennessee last season in Columbia. So still a huge challenge for Tennessee's secondary, but uh, they'll only have to deal with one stud receiver instead of two. So uh, that's a, a benefit or a plus for the balls. Would you like to know my fun fact of the day? Yeah, let's do it. I already know you know this fun fact of the day, but if you could act surprised, that would, that would really go a long way with me. Uh, from 2001 to 2003, one Shane Beamer served as a graduate assistant right here at the University of Tennessee football program <clears throat> under head coach Phil Fulmer. So he spent a little bit of time here. I knew that last year. I had forgotten about it between last year's game and this year's game. And then I saw the picture pop up. I don't know if you've seen it float around Twitter or whatever, but, you know, Shane Beamer and kind of the coach's picture yeah. is all the way over to the left. Always never ceases to, to give me like a – Oh, yeah, kind of moment. Like, oh, yeah, all right, I remember that now. Wow, I'm hearing that now for the first time. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, uh, here's my fun fact of the day. Okay. I hope we didn't talk about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago. We probably didn't since we're recording later in the week. This game, night game, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, SEC Network, Tom Hart, Jordan Rodgers, Cole Kubelik, dark mode. This ends a long Taylor streak. Taylor Swift will be there. No, Taylor Swift. Well, I, I, I haven't confirmed that she won't be there, but I have no expectations that Taylor Swift will be there. Oh, poor Zayn Denton. I just thought I'm just not <laughs> thinking about this for the first time. Obviously, she was going to go the athlete route. Poor Zayn Denton. Might could have actually. Yeah. Uh, maybe he could have been something there. That's a throwback. I don't know if the press, if the Lindsey Nelson press box can handle the uh, the star power that that she brings. No, I don't. Nor think do they have a popcorn machine that can that can lug through those stairs to get her out of there. <laughs> 
That's true. Sorry, go ahead. This ends a long streak. Tennessee has not played a night game in Knoxville against South Carolina since 2011. Wow. 2013 was a noon game. 2015 was a mid-afternoon game. 17 uh, was a noon game. 19 was an evening game. I think like a 4 o'clock game. Uh, 21 was a noon game. Every game in Columbia since that time has been a night game. <laughs> I guess that's not true. 2012 was a day game. It was a noon game. 2014, 16, 18, 20, 22... All night games. So we finally end the streak of Tennessee always having to play at night in Columbia and South Carolina never having to play at night in Knoxville. I mean, it was cr- incredible that you had that long of a streak of it going both ways. So uh, as, as Shane Beamer said this week, you get them out there tailgating all day, I'm sure it'll be really rowdy. And as Josh Leipold has said, uh, they're, they're leaning on Tennessee, to make, Tennessee fans to make a, a big difference in this game and, and make life hard on South Carolina's offense. That's just a wild stat. I actually remember you saying that last year when we were when we were fixing Going to head to Columbia for the first yeah. time, and and we were talking about that storyline as well. That is, that's wild. Yeah, it's going to be a massive atmosphere this weekend in Neyland Stadium. Here's what Josh Heupel had to say about just kind of the crowd's involvement, the crowd's impact on what he believes can make uh, this South Carolina game coming up this Saturday. Yeah, home field advantage uh, matters. Uh, we need energy, momentum. Uh, need to make it extremely difficult for them to communicate. And, um, you know, for us, uh, our fans need to be a huge part of this football game. They have been uh, every Saturday that I've, I've been here. I uh, can't wait. Uh, expect to be a lot more boats tied up on the river this week and, and uh, expect ball walk to be electric and cannot wait for, uh, for the noise and, and the energy inside of the stadium. All right, my friend, I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us here today. We have a we have a press conference to go to right now. The man that you just heard, Josh Heupel, that's where we're going right now. We're going to talk to him here on a, on a routine Thursday morning press conference, hear a little bit about kind of the final preparations to South Carolina, maybe hear about some of the injuries. As always, by the time that you're listening to this podcast, we will already be done and out of that press conference. You can go and check out all of the information on that over at racket.pensa.com. But wait, there's more. Right after Josh Heifel will be a Tony Vitello press conference. So I don't know people are getting excited about just the rest of the sports that might be coming up at some point during the academic calendar. Baseball obviously gets this fan base excited to a big degree. Hearing Tony Vitello for the first time this fall, you, you interested in that? Certainly, yeah. It's a... Uh... Going to be a fascinating uh, fall at a lot of different positions for Tennessee, a lot of different position battles. So it'll uh, it'll be good to get Tony Vitello's thoughts here at the uh, offset of fall camp. As always, you can go and follow Ryan Shumpert on Twitter. That would be at rshump00, S-C-H-U-M-P. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. That's just R-I-C, no K, uh, like the nature boy himself. And then Jack Foster. We're missing Jack Foster right now. He's out. He's out on a... On a uh, where in the world is Jack Foster? He's in Las Vegas. He's in Las Vegas. Look, I like you. You're my good friend. <laughs> One of my great friends out here. I'd rather be in Las Vegas yeah, I don't even uh, like where Jack is right now. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, we'll, we'll get Jack back next week, uh, but he, that's why he was off the podcast today. If you want to go and follow Jack, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. But otherwise, just making sure you're going and checking out the, the Rocky Top Insider network of content that we have. You can go and follow at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. But of course, you can go and just check out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for a whole plethora of Tennessee news notes and, and, and content on each one of the Tennessee teams. Right, we're getting some basketball news here today, which is Thursday, that I think people are going to be excited about. So, hey, there's going to be baseball, football, and basketball on the website 
If you're listening to this, the podcast is wrapping up. So you need something to do. Just go ahead over to the website and go and kill a few hours over there. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me here on this podcast today. We will look forward to getting back, Jack, next week. Otherwise, we're going to wrap this thing up. We will see you, when will we see you next? After the South Carolina game. Saturday, well, Sunday morning. Uh, Oh, oh, goodness. Oh, no. I just forgot about that aspect of it. It is a little, like, twist and a knife that it's at 7.30, not 7. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have just done it, like, yeah. 7 o'clock wasn't late enough? Yeah. We, we couldn't have done it just at 7? Did we know the time for this game last week when we were talking about how much we liked the early games, or did yes. we jinx, our, no, we, jinx no, ourselves? No, we, we knew the time. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we didn't jinx ourselves. Then. Uh, well, I mean, we'll just full circle this. I'm just gonna, I'm taking over the podcast full circle with topics that I enjoy talking about, all the wrestling nonsense you've made me <laughs> endure over the years. I think the I think month or the Sunday Ryder Cup the singles that starts later I think starts at like four, maybe five. It's the four. I mean the way seven thirty game I might just be working right into it. Not good at that. Yeah, that, that's just just madness. By madness the time you and get home, you can flip right on the TV. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so uh, should be uh, should be very entertaining and uh, certainly a huge huge game for Tennessee. It's a big game for South Carolina too. Uh, really feels like this is, I guess that's my, my parting thought. This feels like a turning point game for Tennessee season. Like it's going to kind of go in one or two directions after this. And one. it feels like both teams need this game. South Carolina getting back on track after going 2-2 two and two to start the year. And then obviously Tennessee does not want to be 3-2 and two heading into the bye week. That would, be, uh, that would be a big problem, if you will. So certainly a lot of storylines to look into. Certainly a lot of storylines to follow. We will have you covered for each of them. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. That's Ryan Shumpert. I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top, Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We'll see you back for the next one. South Carolina postgame. The good, the bad, the ugly. We'll have it all. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.